Welcome to The Gaggle, an AC Central podcast where we chat with reporters and experts to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, and I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. I'm Ron Hansen. I'm also a national reporter covering the congressional delegation. Today, we're talking about the Phoenix mayoral race. The city of Phoenix has a new mayor. Kate Gallego becomes only the third woman to lead the city of Phoenix, but this was a huge win. Thank you, thank you, Phoenix. Thanks to all of you, we did it. We overcame doubters, rain, we overcame dark money and a lot of it. First results coming in, Gallego's campaign declared victory. We're joined by Jessica Baim, a familiar voice for you Gaggle loyalists. She's been covering the race for the past year and a half. Jessica, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for your time. I'm sure you're exhausted after this race. I am absolutely exhausted, but so happy to be here with you guys. So we're recording this Thursday, March 14th, just two days after the race was called. How are you feeling? Mostly tired, but also happy that this is over and that some semblance of order can return to the city of Phoenix. Why start now, right? <laughs> well, your work is appreciated, so let's get into it. Okay, so 18 months is how long you've really been covering this. Why did the race take so long? I mean, it completely left the city in limbo. And for people who've just kind of been watching this from the outside, it felt like this thing was kind of decided several months ago. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it really has been just a complete state of limbo for 18 months. For 10 months, we've had an interim mayor. And really, the reason why this all took so long is because it was back in October 2017 that former Mayor Greg Stanton announced he would run for Congress. But then he didn't actually leave the city until May of 2018, which set up a November election, which you mentioned was a lot of people thought the end of it, but we needed a runoff, which is what we just had in March. And now finally we're done. And that runoff had to happen. Why? Because you have to get 50% plus one vote in an election in the city of Phoenix to win outright and not require a runoff. And we had four candidates in that first election. It's very hard to get that 50% margin and not have to have a runoff. So Greg Stanton, uh, if he's the, uh, the the culprit in the timing of all this stuff, why did he time his decisions the way he did? Was there any strategy behind it? Was it just indulgent on his part? Uh, how did how did he pick the time frame that he settled on? Well, I do think it's important to re remember that a couple years ago, the state legislature kind of changed up the way that we have our resign to run laws. So it used to be that if you announced and you started raising money to run for another position, you had to get the heck out of your current position. That is not the case anymore. You don't actually have to resign until you file your paperwork. So understandably, Greg needed to start raising money and campaigning. But he didn't actually have to resign under state law until he turned in his paperwork at the end of May. Now, why he did that, why he didn't just get out of uh, his position as mayor, I mean, well, you tell me, Greg, do you think he's going to get more? Uh, <laughs> your name is not Greg, huh? <laughs> I've been called worse. Okay. Well, you tell me, Ron, uh, is this... Would you get more coverage from you as a congressional candidate or from me as the mayor of Phoenix? Right. So it sounds like it, it helped him to 
keep that title. I know that was a sore spot for his congressional rival uh, in that last election cycle. Steve Ferrara really kind of complained, I think, that, that Greg was sort of using the mayor's uh, perch for his own benefit uh, on a number of fronts, and, and it kept his name out there. But what, what's your sense uh, of, about where that left the city in, at this point? I think that the fact that we've had an interim mayor for 10 months is not necessarily a great thing. Um, the the most the more pressing thing to me is that when you have an interim mayor, you only have eight people total on the council. And when you only have eight people, you're going to have decisions failing 4-4. Four, four, um, and we had several of those. So, I mean, it, it definitely set up a shaky couple of months or more than that, almost a year for the city of Phoenix. So flash forward to today, Kate Gallego is mayor. Let's go to the beginning. How did she position herself to really go on to lead one of the biggest cities in the U.S. and be the only woman to do so? You know, she really from the get-go had a lot of support from some of the less traditional city supporters. Um, You had groups like Planned Parenthood and Sierra Club and Emily's List coming out and supporting her. I think the fact that we saw the year of the woman in politics last year, um, it definitely helped her as well. She benefited from a lot of that energy to try and get women elected. She also, you know, she has a small child. That was definitely um, something that that people liked. She seemed relatable. She kind of uh, primed herself as kind of this relatable, left of center character that could could take over the city and um, bring it to the next level, whereas her opponent kind of fell into the establishment patterns that didn't seem to work out for him. So take us through this election process. Sure, I'm going to have to go back in time because it was a year and a half ago that this all began. Um, But basically, we originally had four candidates. We, of course, had Kate. We had Daniel Valenzuela, also a Democrat. We had Moses Sanchez, a Republican. And we also had a Libertarian candidate named Nicholas Sarwark. Um, The two strongest candidates there and the two candidates with the most money were obviously the two Democrat candidates, um, Kate Gallego and Daniel Valenzuela, and you saw them continue through after that November election into March. So you've talked a bit about Kate's experience and how she cast herself to voters as a relatable character. I mean, Danny Valenzuela also has small kids. He seems relatable. He's a firefighter. Like, why didn't that resonate with the electorate? That's a good question. I think that's a question a lot of the establishment players in the city government are probably asking themselves right now. Um, I think part of it was that he kind of um, relied on an old formula that doesn't quite work as much as it used to. Um, We kind of talked about this the last time I was here, but he you know, had the support from business leaders, from the unions, from groups like that. And um, it appears that those those groups do not have the pull they once had, um, which is kind of surprising. I mean, yeah, Daniel, he would have been the first Latino mayor. He's a firefighter. I mean, on his face, he's a pretty exciting candidate as well, but it just didn't resonate. 
So I guess what was surprising really to me about the way he positioned himself was that I expected him to pivot, right? I expected him to do something different than what he did in in uh, last year's election, in the November election, because clearly what he did then, it worked enough to get him to the next race in March, but it didn't work well enough for him to surpass Gallego. So why didn't he switch it up? Do you have a sense? Because that's a big question that a lot of Republicans and Democrats alike are really wondering. Well, I think in some ways he did switch it up. It just didn't really work. Um, he went further right. Um, and he, you know, hired a bunch of, you know, former John McCain staffers to lead his campaign. He, um, you know, there were a lot of dark money groups that had some very conservative rhetoric. Um, I think that was supposed to help him paint, be painted as like the conservative candidate. I think there were mailers going out that called him the conservative candidate. Um, but instead, I think what it did was just like confuse or maybe even offend people um, that this person who had painted himself as a Democrat in the past was now running as a Republican. So I think he pivoted a bit, but it just wasn't the right move. So a lot of our listeners are trying to figure out what all of this tells us about 2020. Is there any takeaway uh, from this municipal mayoral election that should give anyone some insight as to how 2020 might unfold next year? Yeah, well, a couple of things I learned. I mean, I think you're seeing on a national level, um, on both the right and the left, uh, you know, kind of move away from the establishment and from like the strong players uh, who once were the kingmakers in politics. You're kind of seeing a move away from that. And that was definitely the case here. Um, the other thing was, you know, there at the end, there were some dark money groups that came out, a lot of negative ads, a lot of attack ads against Gallego. And, you know, I was one of the people who thought, wow, that really might have an impact. Um, this could really hurt her. It does not seem to have done so. Um, so I think those are both things to to watch and see uh, what that bodes for other elections. So I first met Kate many years ago through a Valley Leadership class, and I just remember immediately being struck with this idea that she's just a policy wonk, right? Like she loves to get into the details. She loves to understand super complex theories, and she likes to hear from a lot of different people. And Stanton, to me, Greg Stanton, to me, seemed someone who was more about learning the big broad brush strokes and glad handing his way through um, policy and votes and decisions. And they both just seem to bring very different styles to government. And how can you give us a sense of how she will bring to bear her kind of nerdy policy wonky ways with um, leading the city? Yeah, I would agree with you in that their their personalities are are quite different. Um, it's kind of funny. I was thinking, I think of kind of their supporters as being very similar. Um, and I think, you know, from a perspective of who would be more like Greg, Kate, or Danny, I would say Kate. But I agree with you. I think we're going to see Kate being more in the weeds, being more, you know, into the policy and how it comes to be. I don't think we'll see her at quite as many, you know, big 
ribbon cutting events and, you know, kind of that does not seem to be like her arena where she thrives in, whereas Greg was very good at being a public speaker and in the community and and things like that, where I see Kate as more, um, you know, wanting to be there for the nuances of the policy and be the one who's really crafting things. Um, You know, she has come a long way, I will say, in her public speaking and her ability to engage with folks. Um, And so I'm sure she will be able to do that. Don't get me wrong. But I see her as kind of having more of an intimate role in policymaking. Do you have a sense of what her first priorities or her first moves are going to be? She takes office on the 21st? Yes, on the 21st. And, you know, we got to sit down with her for a short while. um, And I understand that it obviously would be unfair to make her lay out her entire agenda on one hour of sleep after her victory party. She Um, should know it by now. That's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say that the thing that she is going to have to do first is uh, manage the city budget process. Um, That is really boring. And I'm sorry if I just put half of you to bed by saying the word budget. But I have to say it is the most important thing that the city does every year. It's the funding source from everything from police departments to fire departments to, you know, the parks budget, everything else. And we are starting that process like the day before she is sworn in. So she is going to have to be that strong leader who's ushering that through. We had some problems with the budget process last year. The budget failed on a procedural vote. So God willing, that won't happen with a full-time mayor now. Um, but, you know, I think that she um, she told me that one thing that she wants to do is really start looking at the budget as like a forward-looking tool and to stop just thinking about how do we Um, figure out how to like fill all of the gaps for a year, but really thinking about like, how are we investing in our community to make sure that as we continue to grow, we are able to be sustainable um, with that growth, especially as, um, you know, a possible recession is looming. You mentioned police and fire uh, a bit ago. Um, That those groups seem to be in Danny's camps. Uh, So how, Will Kate Gallego handle working with those groups now as mayor-elect? And where where do we go from there in terms of law enforcement strategy and public safety more broadly? Yeah, that was one of my bigger concerns because police and fire unions, you know, were not super kind in their um, uh, attack ads, I guess you could say, at least negative ads, um, as they related to um, Kate during this election cycle. So, you know, how do you come back from that and all get together and, and work together? I did speak to Kate, the fire union, and the police union uh, the day after the election and basically was like, okay, how are you guys going to do this? This is arguably one of the most important parts of the city is public safety. And all three of them said that they are willing to, you know, put this bad blood aside and work together. The fire union told me that they've never had a problem with Kate. It was just that Daniel was one of their union brothers. So of course, they were going to support him. Um, You know, the police union said, you know, we're willing to work at this if she is. And I was kind of like, wow, I feel like a therapist because I've talked to all of you today. And you all say that you're willing to work at it. So get in a room and do it. So I guess we'll see, but it left me hopeful that they'll be able to find some common ground. And for those who didn't support her campaign, what is their biggest fear and how likely is any of that to come to pass? That's a good question. And it's one I've struggled with because really Daniel and Kate in their votes 
have been very similar in the past. I would say that, you know, beyond public safety and some fears that the unions had, um, Kate, a lot of Kate's supporters were kind of, I would say, maybe the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party. You've got like a lot of urbanists that want, you know, more sustainable transportation options and uh, bike lanes and uh, more affordable housing and workforce housing options, things like that. Um, so perhaps those will be um, some of the issues that uh, anger some of her uh, one-time opponents. But I think all in all, when you really looked at it, Daniel and Kate were very similar. And so I feel like some of those fears that people had may not actually come to pass. Mayor-elect Gallego really only has the job for about a year and a half, right? Yeah, we get to do this all again in like a year. Lucky I'm so you. excited. I can't <laughs> wait. Yes, so she's technically only serving out the rest of Greg Stanton's term, um, which expires April 2021, but the election will be November 2020, which is next year. Um, so yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be so fun. Uh, but basically, I would say expect her to kind of. Uh, try to get a couple of big policy wins under her belt in the next year. So just in case someone lines up to take her on, she has something to say, this is what I've done. This is what I can continue to do. Though I will say with a 17 point lead like she had in March and a 19 point lead in November, I don't think you're going to see too many people lining up to take her on. Beyond firefighting, do you have any sense of where Danny Valenzuela goes from here? You know, I don't, but I look forward to sitting down with him. Um, you know, one of the things that I've tried to tell people throughout this campaign is that as ugly as things can get, I thought both of these candidates were good people and people that I enjoyed working with and talking to. Um, Kate said at her election party victory speech that she hopes that there is more service in front of Daniel. Um, and I think a lot of people do. Well, Jessica, thanks so much for coming on. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. If you have any questions, reach out to me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And you can find me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. And I'm at jbame underscore news, and bame is B-O-E-H-M. Thanks so much, Gaggle listeners, for tuning in. We want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the show? What should we be tackling? Is there any person or issue that you want to hear more about? You can feel free to message us on Twitter with the hashtag TheGagglePod. We'll be sure to reply. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Your support is what makes it possible for us to do this each week. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley, Katie O'Connell, and Kayla White. Thanks again. We'll be back next Wednesday. <laughs>